Follow with me this morning. We are saved by faith in Jesus. We are saved by faith in Jesus. We are made right with God. We are forgiven of our sin. We are granted life eternal, not by religion, not by doing something, not by stopping doing other things, but by faith in Jesus. By trusting him as our Lord and Savior in faith, we are saved. We are saved by faith in Jesus. Now, be sure this morning, that is the only way to be saved. There is not another way. There's not many ways. That is it. There is no other way to be saved. We are saved by faith in Jesus. And now stay with me. And faith comes by hearing. That's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing the gospel message. Now stay with me. The only way a person can be saved is by faith. And the only way a person can believe and have faith is by hearing the gospel message. And so, stay with me, Satan's goal is that we'd be silent. Simple as that, plain as that. Satan's goal, Satan's mission, his desire is that those having the gospel of Jesus Christ, those even having embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would be silent. Friends, let me tell you two things this morning. Number one, I'm afraid he's winning in that battle. His goal is that those that have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that for whatever reason we would just sit on it, that we would be silent. Number one, I'm afraid he's winning that battle. Number two, we, listen to me, in these critical days, cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. Faith comes by hearing we cannot be silent. You sit there and say, well, what if we go to church when we can? What if, what if we attempt to go to church? That's good. It's not good enough. Well, what if we try and do better things? You know, we're going to clean up our act. We'll try and do better things, especially where others can see them. Listen, that's good. That's not good enough. What if we live out the gospel? That's not enough. We cannot be silent. Listen, we cannot be silent. In our study of Acts, in the account of Paul that we've been passing through, the, the things we're looking at, that really is the issue. The last few weeks I've been looking at that and I wonder, what was the real issue? That really is the issue. Well, today as we continue our study, I believe, in fact, I'll tell you, I know God wants us to learn from Paul. I believe he wants us to read this, to hear this, and I believe he wants us to learn from the Apostle Paul. Our message today is entitled, No Room for Silence. No Room for Silence. Now, we're in Acts chapter 26. For the third week in a row, we're going to cover the entire chapter, a whole bunch of verses. We're going we're gonna to read and work through those verses in the course of our message. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me for a word of prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful for you. We're thankful for hope today. We're thankful for peace today. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin today. We're thankful for the truth of the gospel. 
that we have no work of our own, but by faith in Jesus, that we can be and we are saved. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for the good things that you bestow upon us, that you bless us with. We're thankful for the rain. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't deserve it, and yet you send it. Lord, we're thankful for this time together. And I, I pray, Lord, that right now as, we, as we're about to hear your word, I pray that it would be a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak. And I pray that it would overwhelm us. And that it wouldn't just be more information, more facts to accumulate. But I pray, Lord, that you, the living God, would speak through your word today. I pray it would be that tremendous. Lord, I pray that we would be built as a church. That we would be equipped as believers I pray those that do not know you in the hearing of good news that today they might turn to you and receive you in faith. And Lord, I pray that every bit of it would bring glory to you, would heap glory on you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you remember last week, we finished up by observing that Paul's problems, as great as they were, Paul's problems would go away, his problem with the Jews, his problems with the Gentiles, his problem with the Romans, they would go away if he would simply quit talking. If he quit talking about Jesus, the Messiah, if he'd just go silent about Jesus, the hope of sinners, if he quit talking about the resurrected Savior, his problems would stop just like that. If he would just be silent, his problems would be over. Isn't that the goal? Don't we want to have a life of no problems? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that why Jesus came, that we would always be comfortable? Wouldn't that be nice? So why wouldn't he? And I'll tell you, boy, he wouldn't. He wouldn't stop. In fact, the opposite is true. He just continues to get louder. But the question is, why wouldn't he just be silent? Rome would ease up, the Jews would ease up, really the instigators of it all. His problems would be over. He could walk out and live his life if he'd just be silent. Why wouldn't he? Again, today we're going to move through a long chapter, the entire chapter. We're going to go piece by piece through it. And we're going to look at this man that refused to go silent, that refused to be silent. Remember at this point today, Paul's in Caesarea. He is before Festus, the Roman governor. Festus, we read, finds no fault in him. In fact, he can't find a single charge to attach to him. He's embarrassed of that. He's about to send him to Caesar. He has no charge to place on him. Paul has requested to be heard in Rome by the Roman emperor himself, and he is waiting to leave. In the meantime, King Agrippa, remember him, the fraudulent, self-serving king of the Jews, he is requested also to hear from Paul. So he's waiting to go to Rome. While he's waiting, King Agrippa comes to town, and he is interested, he is curious, and so he also requests to hear from Paul. And that's where we begin today in the 26th chapter. Now, understand the 26th chapter We could break this down many ways. We could look at it in many different ways. But again, we're going to look as we pass through the chapter at the man, Paul, who would not be silent. So that's our focus today. Paul, the man who would not be silent. All right, let's start in verse 1, chapter 26, verse 1. 
Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. All right, here we go. Paul's going to make his defense. The first thing Paul tells is of his opportunity here. He's going to tell of his opportunity. Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, in regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you're an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul says in these two verses, he is glad, he even says he is fortunate to present his case before King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is actually an excellent candidate to hear this message. Because he is aligned with the Romans, he's not loyal to the Sanhedrin. Because of his Jewish background, he understands the Jewish law. He understands the Jewish tradition. Somewhat, he understands the Jewish scripture. So this is an excellent opportunity. Paul is glad for the opportunity. Now I want you to think about this. Paul is going to Caesar. The, the, the Roman governor says, I can't find a charge to attach to him. He has appealed to Caesar. Caesar is going to hear the case. Caesar will make any determination. So really this hearing bears no impact for Paul. Here's what I believe. I believe Paul is glad for the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus Christ. And that's what I believe is happening here. I believe he's glad for the opportunity. Here's this man, King Agrippa, and he is primed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe he's glad for the opportunity to point him to Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we see is Paul's opportunity. Then Paul tells who he is. The, the next thing, Paul tells who he is. Verses 4 and 5. So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Now understand, Paul was well known to the Jews. He lived in Jerusalem. He grew up in Jerusalem. He had the best education there. He was a Pharisee. He was a, an expert in the scriptures, an expert in the law. He was a zealot for Judaism. And it was well known. Everybody, he says, all people know that. All of Jerusalem knows that. Understand, he is not a stranger. He is not an outsider. He is not a newcomer. They are familiar with who he is. He says if they were willing to testify, they would have to testify to that. He's not an outsider. He tells us who he is. The next thing, he tells us why he is on trial. He tells us why he is on trial. The charges that are being made against him. Verses 6 through 8. And now I am standing trial... For the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day, 
And for this hope, O king, I'm being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does not raise the dead? Now I want to read those verses again. Listen to each word. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does not raise the dead? The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, told of the Messiah, the promised Savior of God. They also told of his resurrection. Now, not only that, they told of the promise of resurrection. The Jews knew that. It was, it was the basis of their scripture. The Jews held to that. Well, Paul, we find, is hated and has been sought to have been killed because he preaches of the coming of that Messiah in the person of Jesus. He has preached of his death and his resurrection. He has preached that through him, there is the resurrection of those that receive him in faith. Now, I want you to understand what I just read in those verses and what I just described to you here. Understand, Paul is preaching the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he's doing. They had the scriptures. They loved the scriptures. Well, he is preaching the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. In verse 8, Paul says, why is it considered incredible? That word incredible in the original language, in the Greek, means not credible. It means unbelievable. So he says, why is it unbelievable among you people if God does raise the dead? Here's what we need to see. I want you to see this. The message of Jesus is the message of all scripture. Now listen, I want you to hear that. That's very important. The message of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, is the message of all scripture. All scripture, starting in Genesis, going all the way to the last word of Revelation, it is pointing to and telling of our Savior, Jesus. Now I want you to listen to me. That is why we stand on the word of God in the church. That is why we turn to the word of God in the church. What are we going to turn to? Not popular opinion, not what somebody says, not the popular culture of the day. We turn to the word of God. That is why what we preach in the church is the word of God. That is why we adhere to the scripture. Listen to me. In the church, our focus is the word of God because it is the message of Jesus. I'll just tell you, you look around today and you can go and you can watch sermons and they might say one verse and they might set their Bible down and preach for 40 minutes and never go back to that verse. They might preach 40 minutes and they might not have, they might not have any verse. They might come along and have a message they want you to hear and they pull out verses, but that's not what the verse means, but they quote it because it backs up what they want to say. Listen, that's not how it works in the church. In the church, we stand on and we turn to and we preach alone the word of God. Also see this, the issue, what's the issue? 
It's Jesus. You know why they hate the word of God? Because it tells of Jesus. The issue is Jesus. It was the issue then. Listen, it is the issue now. The Jews didn't mind if you preached scripture. They didn't mind if Paul pre preached scripture. As long as he did not preach Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you, here, here's the conflict, here's the problem. The problem is the subject of their scripture is Jesus. And so you can't preach the scripture and not preach Jesus. You can't preach Jesus and not preach the scripture. They are tied together. Friends, let me tell you something today. And boy, be sure of this. Let me tell you something. The world doesn't care what we preach. The world doesn't care what we preach. You can preach self-help. You can preach self-esteem. You can preach self-improvement. You can preach good morals. Here's a good thing. Here's, here's a bunch of good morals. You can preach benevolence to others. You can preach social justice. The world doesn't today care what the church preaches as long as it doesn't preach Jesus. Do you know it's the same today? The world doesn't care as long as we'll stay away from saying Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only answer, and we receive him by faith. Today it is the same. We preach the scriptures, and in doing so, we're preaching Jesus. Paul tells why he's on trial. Next, he tells of his past. <clears throat> he tells of his past. Verses 9 through 11. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. The truth of the matter is this. Paul was the lead persecutor of the church. Now, it was a growing thing, but he is the lead persecutor of the church. He was committed to silencing the followers of Jesus Christ. He was consumed with that. He sought them out. He pursued them. He hauled them in. He locked them up. When they were killed, he voted for their execution. He dropped a stone, and the stone meant kill them, execute them. Notice in verse 11 it says, he was furiously enraged. Now I want you to get the picture of that. He's not saying, well, this is a cause I'm against, or this is a cause we have to stand up against. No, it says he is furiously enraged. He burned to silence them. His gut was full of violence and hatred for them. He was furiously enraged. Remember that of Paul. Next we see the change in Paul, the change in Paul, verses 12 through 15. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. 
And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. On the road to Damascus, remember he's going there to grab some more Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem. On the road to Damascus, he, Paul, encounters Jesus. Honestly, everything changes with this encounter. Now, we looked at a version of verse 15 early in our study of Acts, but verse 15 really tells us, points out the change in Paul. Let's go back to verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I want you to see this. It's pretty awesome. It says, and I said, who are you, Lord? Now, the word for Lord there, here in this instance, it is a word or it is a title of respect, like sir. And so he says, who are you, sir? A, a title of respect. Who are you, sir? But as Paul retells the event, he says, and the Lord said, now notice here when it says Lord, it's not saying sir any longer, but now it is saying Lord. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now from verse 15 we know that sometime in this event, Paul sees Jesus for who he is. Sometime in this event, now I'm not sure where the exact point was, but somewhere in this event, the scriptures that he knew and the scriptures that he loved arrived at the person of Jesus. First he calls him sir, but then he calls him Lord. And as he professed him as Lord, he is professing him as the Savior, as the Messiah, even God himself. Paul tells us there was a place that he put his faith in Jesus and he was saved. Do you know Jesus is Lord today? And not just as a name, not just as a set of facts that you've heard maybe in Sunday school, maybe in sermons for many years. Do you know Jesus as Lord, the remedy for your sin, your Savior? Do you know Jesus like that? Next, Paul tells of his purpose, his purpose, verses 16 through 20. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Here's what the verses say. The verses tell us having 
trusted Jesus as Savior, the Lord Jesus calls him. Now, the word there is appoints him. Jesus appoints him. It says of two words here, as a minister and as a witness. Now, the word minister in the original language means servant of, under the duty of, under the burden of, an attendant of, or about the business of. And so to be a minister is to have the duty of, or to be about the business of. And then it says, and witness. The word witness translates, one who testifies to, or confirms with verbal testimony. And so he has been appointed as a witness. That is one who testifies to, or confirms with a verbal testimony. Paul is appointed, Paul is called to serve the gospel and to testify to the gospel. It is his duty, it is his burden, it is his task. Now, I want to look at verse 18. Verse 18 is loaded with, with meaning. In verse 18 it says, the gospel he is serving, the gospel he is to testify to, in verse 18, it says, it is for the Jews and for the Gentiles. That means the non-Jews. And so this gospel that he's going to testify to, it is for the Jews and it is for the non-Jews. It is for all people. That's what he says. And preaching that gospel, the goal, the purpose of that, again from verse 18, to all people, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, the purpose is, verse 18, that it would open their eyes. Verse 18, that they would turn from darkness to light. Verse 18, that they would turn from the dominion of Satan to the lordship of Jesus. Then it goes on in verse 18, that they might in that receive the forgiveness of their sins. That they would receive an inheritance and sanctification. Now all that means this that he is to testify to the gospel that in receiving the gospel, they would be saved. See that. He was to preach the gospel. He was to testify to the hope of sinners. He was to tell of Jesus resurrected of the dead and living as Lord. And in doing so, as he does that, people are saved. The verse says that they may be saved. So listen, he can't be silent. We read this chapter and say, why would you sign up for much, so much trouble? Why would you endure such a cost? He can't be silent. The cost is too high. Faith comes by hearing and there is no room for silence. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. There's no room for silence. There's no room for silence. There wasn't room then. There's not room now. Listen to me. Time is too short today. The price is too costly. Eternities hang in the balance. The message is too important today. Listen to me, believer. There is no room for silence. Whatever your age, whatever your lot in life, maybe you're a student, maybe you're an adult, maybe you're retired, maybe your kids are all grown. There is no room for silence. Then why are we? Are we really too busy 
Are we really not concerned enough about the eternities of others? The statistic, I think the gap is getting shorter. The statistic says 9 out of 10 professing followers of Jesus Christ have never led anybody to faith in Christ. 90%, I believe it's getting a bigger, a larger number than that. 90% have never led anybody to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. How can that be? How can that be? Are we really that busy? Are we really that distracted? Are we really that apathetic about the eternities of others? Listen to me today, church. There is no room for silence. So we see the purpose. The next thing we see is the priority, the priority. Verses 21 through 23. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Here Paul says, this is the real issue. The Jews want me to be silent. He said, and for this reason, they tried to put me to death. And yet he says, even trying, having been tried to be put to death, he is empowered by God. And he says, even to this day, he is still at it. Under the threat of death, he is not let up. To the small or to the great, any person, he says, I stand to testify. Today, be sure, if the gospel is what matters, and if the gospel is the only message by which anyone will be saved, its proclamation has to be our priority. I can't say that enough. If, if the gospel is really the gospel truth, and if it's the only way to ever be saved, its proclamation has to be our priority. Listen to me, in this church, the word of God is our message. And the truth of the gospel is our focus. And its declaration must be our priority. Listen, the proclamation, the spread of the good news of Jesus must be our priority. And when I say that, sometimes we think, well, yes, our church needs to be about that. Listen, we are the church I'm the church, you're the church. Our priority must be the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, we see Paul's passion. We've seen his, his purpose. We've seen its priority. Next, we see his passion. Starting in verse 24, going to verse 27. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Festus says, it's, a, it's a, a weird exchange here. He's talking along. He's telling this. Festus says, you're crazy. I hear what you're saying. You're crazy. Listen, the world still says that. 
a resurrected Savior, a hope in Jesus? You're crazy. Paul says, I'm not crazy. Paul says, none of this has been done in secret. It is all out in the open. Then he turns to King Agrippa and he says this, you believe the prophets, don't you? The king of the Jews, surely you do. You, you believe the prophets, don't you? Now I love this. Don't miss this. Paul was trying to lead King Agrippa, the corrupt, self-serving king of the Jews, to Jesus Christ. Now I read this chapter and I, I love this part. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? It says that, that King Agrippa comes in and there's all this, this pomp and circumstance around him and he comes in and he's speaking to the king. And can you imagine? He tries to lead King Agrippa to, to Christ. Can you imagine that? What a victory that might have been. Can you imagine? God loves him. God's grace is for him. And so he tells him, do you believe the prophets? He's going to try to lead him to Christ. Verse 28, Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. Listen to that. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. King Agrippa responds here, do you know me? That's really what he's saying. Do you, do you know me? Do you know the position I hold? Do you know what I will lose if I turn and I follow Jesus Christ? Do you know me? Do you know my sin? He's there in an incestuous relationship with his sister. Do you know me? Do you know my sin? Paul, do you think you could persuade me in such a short amount of time? Do you think you could convince me to be saved in a short amount of time? Watch this, verse 29. <laughs> and Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul says, yes, yes, that's what I hope. Yes, I wish to God that you would be saved, King Agrippa. He loves you. His grace is for you, but not just for you. I wish that Bernice would be saved. I wish that Festus over there listening in, that he would be saved, that the guards all around, that they would be saved, the Jewish entourage that walked you in here, that they would be saved. Yes, I wish that they would all be saved and short time or long time, oh, that they would be saved. Isn't it crazy? The least likely person, Paul, zealous, the persecutor of the church, the one who killed its preachers, has become its loudest preacher, even at the threat of death. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like the power of the gospel? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Isn't that how our God works? He uses the least likely to bring him great glory. Let me tell you something today, friend. He's called you. He's given you, he's given me, he's given us a commission 
He's told us to tell the lost world we have hope in Jesus. Maybe it's your family member outside of Christ. Maybe it's your friend down the street. Maybe it's one of your coworkers. He has called us to tell a lost world of Jesus. And it's the same gospel, the same good news. It's the same Savior, Jesus. It's the same power that empowered Paul, the same power. And it has the same potential. You know what? I, I like that. What if King Agrippa had gotten saved? What if he'd have turned to Christ? Can you imagine what the, the fruit of that would have been, the potential of that? What if, what, if, what if Festus said, I've heard the truth that I can't bear it any longer and I'm a sinner and I turn to Jesus as the remedy for my sin. Can you imagine what would have flowed out of that? Do you know we have the same potential with every person we witness to? Can you imagine the homes that might be changed? Can you imagine the childhoods that might be saved, changed? Can you imagine the, the, the walls that we crash into and the shame that we bear and the pain that we carry that might be avoided? Each of us, same potential, same gospel, same good news. Yes, I pray they all get saved, Paul says, everyone that hears. The ending, verse 30. The king stood up. Man, this is sad. The king stood up and the governor and Bernice. And those who were sitting with him, oh, they could have been saved. They just heard the gospel. And when they had gone outside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. He doesn't see it, but I want to tell you I do. You see, Paul is free. He's going to go on and he's going to go to Rome. We'll read the end of that. We'll know that. But Paul is free because he appealed not to Caesar. He appealed to Jesus. And I want to tell you, if you'll turn to Jesus, he'll save you today. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll take the shame of your sin. He's already born it to Calvary. And he'll remove it. He'll give you a robe of his own righteousness. And not turning to Caesar. We got too many folks today turning to Caesar. Turning to Jesus Christ, you shall be free. We finish this chapter and we see this. Paul could not be silent. He knew his purpose. He knew its priority. He had a passion to see the lost saved. Here's what I say in conclusion. We must be the same. We must be the same. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful that we have a Savior. And I'm thankful that we have a hope right now. Whatever life's been to us, we have a hope right now that hasn't endured, hasn't, hasn't passed away, that endures. We have an anchor that holds today. We have peace in Jesus. We get to wear your righteousness, your robe of, of perfect righteousness. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray for some that don't know you. I pray in the hearing of good news that today they would embrace you. Today they would turn to you in faith receive you as Savior and that they would be saved in your own word. Lord, I pray for those here that are saved, that have trusted Jesus. First off, Lord, I pray that we respond in joy and peace. We're reminded of the truth, the joy of our salvation. But then, Lord, I pray that we would be so impressed 
And we would be of such integrity and character that we couldn't sit on it. That we, quit, we wouldn't worry about starting an uprising or being offensive to somebody. But we would speak of the good news of a risen Savior, Jesus. Lord, help us have eyes for the lost. Help us have boldness to witness to them. And Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified, known in the effort. And then we come and I tell you, Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Thankful for your truth. Thankful that you lead us through it today. I pray that it would bear fruit as we conclude our service today. I pray for some that are making decisions. I pray that you'd remove any hindrance. I pray, Lord, in this time of response that they would turn and respond appropriately as your word leads, as your spirit calls. Lord, we love you tonight, today. We pray in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close the time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you a couple of things that are appropriate right now. First off, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, turn to him today. He'll save you today. He is the remedy for sin. He is the remedy for sinners. He's paid your penalty. It is finished in him. If you'll profess him as Lord, believing in him in faith, you shall be saved. If you've never done that, don't walk out of here without that settled. If you need more information, listen, you come. Let's, let's talk it through. Let's settle that today. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. He'll save you today. If you have trusted Jesus, let this be a day where we draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, I sell insurance, but you're not going to come get any insurance and not hear about Jesus. I teach students in a school, but you're not going to pass to my class and not just see it, but you're going to hear the truth of a Savior named Jesus. I work in a field as a farmer. You know what? You're not going to come by. You're not going to see me at the, at the fertilizer dealer, the tractor dealer, not here, that my hope is in Jesus. That we would be testifiers, witnesses to the truth of Jesus. Maybe you're here and, and you need to follow in believer's baptism. The Bible says it's always by immersion. It's a picture of what we believe of Christ, that we die in Christ and live with Christ. It's a picture of what he did, that he died paying for our sin, that he lives again. It's always after salvation, not as part of it. And so if you're here and you say, you know what, I believe I've trusted Christ. Maybe it's recently, maybe it's further back, but I've never fought in believer's baptism. You come, we'll, we'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come, we'll uphold his word. We'll share his gospel, his good news until he comes again. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. I, I truly believe it's the most important time of our service, our time to respond to the truth of God's Word. As He is speaking to you, as He is leading you, as we stand to sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out, you come on, I'll meet you here.